Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life. Mm-hmm. And you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hello, and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, Dwayne England, and yes, Tommy Donlan. Hey, hey. Hi, buddy. Good to see you. Been a couple weeks again. It has. It has. You're so doggone busy. I can barely I uh, find time to get you in schedule's here. Schedule's full, man. Schedule is packed. Schedule yeah. is packed. As yeah. is this show. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. Nice segue. Yeah, we got a lot going on. We got a very special guest in this evening that we you do. and I are excited to talk about, so we'll get to that. But uh, hey, welcome back. Looks like you had a fantastic trip there in Hawaii. Did a little Yeah, yeah a little uh, paternal leave of absence, if you will. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, courtesy Perfect. of uh, the state of Washington. Yep. And, um yeah, no, it was really good. We actually did some hunting when yeah, I was down there. Yeah, I like it. And, Which uh, we are definitely going to get to in right. the next week or so. Yeah. Uh, review that and, and <laughs> the carnage that yep. you uh, laid down for sure. And uh, I just got back. Matt Messing and I were over on the east side for a few days, yep. hanging out with our buddies uh, uh, Richie Herod and uh, Bobby Loomis. That's and, right. and I got a full report. I a know full you did. After action yeah. review. That's what Bobby of everything does. Everything you need to correct. That's what Bobby does best. From Bobby. So, so before we get too far along, as always, hey, I want to invite everybody uh, to our platform. Social media platforms, if it's your first time, especially reviewing this here on Root Sports, uh, check out our webpage, www.fishhuntnw.com. Um, there you're going to find coupons. You're going to find the FHN 20 coupon. You're going to find the Fish Hunt NW 10 coupon for Phelps Game Calls. So lots of ways to save via our webpage. Uh, through those coupon codes at checkout with both those companies. Fantastic. Save 20% on all fishing rods, 10% on all Phelps calls. You can't go wrong there. Also, while you're at it, check out all our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Tommy, Twitter, Mm -hmm. uh, Instagram. Go to our uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe if you haven't so you never miss some of our updated content. Lots going on over there, and we appreciate you uh, giving us the support. So, uh, as we move along here, Tommy, very busy show. Let's go ahead and run down the show. Um, number of topics to tackle this evening. Going to introduce everybody to Washington State Representative, Second District, and the House Republican leader, J.T. Wilcox, uh, Washington State Representative, and an avid outdoorsman. If you didn't know, so we're going to get to all that as the show progresses. A um, couple House bills, Thomas, that we have been paying attention to. J.T. is definitely here to shed some light. 1240 and 1143 gun laws, what you need to know, questions for Representative Wilcox. And let's get to the bottom of these things, shall we? Um, Follow-up questions from you, the viewers, on these gun bills. 
get your questions ready. Also, do your emails to state representatives really matter? We're gonna we're gonna pose that one to them, see what kind of response we get there. Then back into the bait lab. It is uh, believe it or not, these cold waters, cold weather. Uh, horrible bite conditions. It is springer season. Yeah. So bait lab, we're going to talk brining some anchovies and herring, bait and scent options that you can utilize hopefully for success. Uh, then back with uh, Representative Wilcox, the pinniped invasion. What does the legislator know? What can be done? Also, we want to tackle or talk about some of JT's favorite fishing opportunities and what he likes to do in his uh, free time. Um, then we're going to wrap it up, Tommy, the politicization of our Fish and Wildlife Commission. We got some stuff going out there now, um, some articles being written, some quotes that have been handed out that kind of mm-hmm. caught me off guard. I'm going to pose those questions to Representative Wilcox, kind of get his position on this. Um, how is it getting so political? But then we also want to spend some time talking with him on some of his favorite elk and deer hunting Absolutely. options that he has out there at the Wilcox Farm and beyond. But, you know, just a lot of great topics to get to this evening. I see a lot of you guys are signing on here, so get your questions ready for Representative Wilcox. Hopefully uh, we can get to some of this stuff. And, yes, Les, uh, 1240, repel. Yeah, we're going to get to the bottom of this thing, find if, in fact, it is or is not constitutional. There's a whole lot going on here. So uh, plenty of questions and conversation to have with yeah. JT Wilcox, don't you think? Yes, definitely a lot to get into. A lot to get into. So, all right, we're going to jump out for a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. We come back from this break, going to introduce you to Representative Wilcox and start tackling these topics, as we do, right here at Fish on Northwest. The Defiance Marine is the one-stop shop for the Pacific Northwest Angler. Defiance Marine guarantees the best price on a new and best service on a repower for your current boat. Defiance Marine is a Honda Premier dealership and one of the largest on the West Coast. Defiance Marine is a boat dealer who proudly sells Defiance, Allied, and Arima boats. All boats are built by West Coast fishermen for West Coast fishermen. Defiance Marine has all your boating needs to help you get out on the water. All right, welcome back here at Fish on Northwest. Wayne England, Tommy Donlin, and introducing to those of you who are not familiar with uh, J.T. Wilcox, 2nd Legislative District House of Representatives, uh, currently the minority leader in the House of Representatives as well. It's kind of a kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Well, I wish it was the majority leader. I do yeah. too. Yeah, I think everybody <laughs> in this speaker, room. And then we'd be making a difference. Yes, yeah. everybody in this room would agree with that. So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you. You're not just here as a representative. You're as a doggone outdoorsman as well. So pretty excited to have you on the show. Well, thanks so much. I'm excited too. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about the important stuff first. Let's get what, right to it. <laughs> what, do you, what do you enjoy more? You got you got hunting, you got fishing, and then you know talk a little bit about hunting too. Like what what's your passion? Is it elk and deer? Is it waterfowl? What is it? Well, I, I grew up uh, hunting pheasants and, and ducks because I could do that as a kid mm-hmm. by myself. Uh, and uh, the the farm in those days was open for everyone to hunt, so there was some competition. Uh, since then, disease control has become so critical that we can't do that anymore uh, and uh, also about 20 years ago elk started showing up my great-grandfather in 1909 never saw an elk mm. uh, and, no kidding uh, yeah and then i think it's because they quit logging in the national forest uh, or the state park mm. and the national park and they just kind of came down the nisqually we have a, about a mile of nisqually front and uh, they have everything they need uh, fresh water lots of cover and uh, some Wilcox Farms alfalfa and grass. Yeah, it's an alfalfa. Go figure. And I'll tell you, the first time I ever saw a herd of elk and, and big bulls 
in uh, the fog, my heart stopped. I was probably 45 years old, and, and I got buck fever immediately. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's hard to replace uh, what it feels like to see elk. Yeah, yeah. no kidding, especially right there in your backyard. Now, right. you, you made an interesting comment uh, before the show started. I mean, you think the population scattered throughout Pierce County, which we know historically there's some big bulls that have come out of Graham area. Uh, in Ording and whatnot throughout Pierce County, but uh, you think the population is pretty strong in pockets uh, throughout parts of Pierce County. Yeah, I think there's hundreds, uh, and it's really the Nisqually River Basin, so the Thurston County side, the Pierce right. County side, may, maybe even, a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a thousand. Uh, and they're, they're pretty acclimated to people. They're not real mm -hmm. spooky. Mm -hmm. uh, what they need are those three things, water cover and uh, feed. Yeah. Yep. And they're pretty comfortable, fat yeah. and happy. Um, let's talk a little bit about fishing. You sent me some recent photos. You went up to Canada, it sounded like, and mm -hmm. bounced around. You got a boat. So what's your passion? Salmon, saltwater, freshwater? What'd you grow up doing? Well, I didn't grow up doing much fishing except for kind of our local uh, Nisqually River and, and Hearts Lake. Uh, but my dad and I have been sailors for pretty much all of our lives and, and mostly up in Canada. And so uh, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, salmon fishing. I've never been great at it, and it, it probably looked kind of funny. We, we sold our big boat. It was a 58-foot sailboat, and, and I would put two downriggers on that and just kind of nose into the scrum up around Campbell River and Desolation Sound. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, people were very nice, accommodating the fact that we weren't very maneuverable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 58 yeah. footer, you could have put four downriggers on that. Yeah, yeah. or six. Well, yeah, or stack six. them on the rail. <laughs> I had enough. Actually, I was stacking on the two, so yeah. oh, okay. I was trying to handle two lines. Uh, Kathy and I used to do that a little bit, but the last time we did, uh, I lost two downrigger balls, and Kathy is not that willing to fish with me. <laughs> <laughs> that starts getting a little expensive. You start yeah. dropping lead on the bottom. For well, sure. yeah. and it uh, may be that I said some mean words, <laughs> which I regret. Yeah. You it, gets, are a, it gets pretty exciting when you hang a downrigger ball. Oh, buddy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. especially you start bending booms and things yeah, yeah. start making weird noises, oh, yeah. and you can't yeah. stop fast enough. So. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as Washington State goes, and you've been here your whole life. I mean, you've mm -hmm. seen the highs and the lows. I mean, even within being a legislator, you know, you hear reports, you see things, you talk to people. I mean, we've had some amazing seasons. We've had some fisheries that are just a mind blow. And we've also been up against it here trying to, you know, get things back, right? We're fighting a hard battle to bring some of these salmon and steelhead runs back to where we feel like they need to be to survive. So, um what is your opinion? I mean, are we truly maximizing the potential of this state through our management practices and policies with relative to hunting and fishing? Uh, I don't think anyone would say that we're maximizing. There's always more mm -hmm. that we can do and sometimes a hell of a lot more. Uh, when it comes to salmon, I, I really pay a lot of attention to tribes. And I think we've got to a place where sports fishermen and, and tribes have an awful lot in common. Uh, we're going to share that, uh, that harvest. And uh, what I hear from the tribal biologists and fishermen is it takes three things. Uh, you've got to have better habitat, you've got to have uh, more hatchery uh, production, and you've got to have predator control. Mm -hmm. And, yep. uh, you, you know, we're not maximizing any of those. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe we're, we're making some progress in a couple of them. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, you know, we are doing a lot on habitat. Sometimes we're, we're really stepping on private landowners' toes, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not, I'm not interested in doing that, uh, but I do want very 
uh, responsible landowners, and, and my family tries to do that. Uh, and uh, Republicans have continually been the ones that offer amendments to the budget that will maximize the dollars that go to uh, uh, hatcheries, whether they're tribal or, or state-owned. Uh, but uh, nobody's doing anything with predator management. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that statement should surprise nobody. And again, it surprises nobody in this room because we're all here in agreement. So, that's right. Uh, excellent points. We have much more to get to in the realm of management, commission, some of the other things going on. We're going to delve into these gun laws. I know you're pretty excited about that. Well, I'm not excited about the gun laws. <laughs> I know. You're, you're excited to talk about it. That's, That's why fine. I asked you to come yeah. on the show because we got to clear the air here on some of this stuff. So don't go anywhere. We're going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. We have some house bills and some gun laws and things to get through with Representative Wilcox right here at Fish on Northwest. We'll be back right after this. Allied. The new leader in heavy gauge aluminum boats. Allied boats have standard reverse china and lifting rakes to help you plane faster and run at lower RPMs. Allied boats have several models to choose from, ranging from a 19-foot Mustang all the way up to a 32-foot Liberator. So regardless of what type of heavy gauge aluminum boats you are looking for, Allied boats will have it for you. Contact Allied boats today to learn more about these incredible fishing machines. All right, welcome back to the show. Representative J.T. Wilcox is in studio this evening for the duration. And uh, a number of things, as we've uh, expressed here to talk about, right now we just want to drill down on these recent uh, gun laws and these bills that are being passed in the House, sitting on the step at the Senate, moving forward. So House Bill 1240, the so-called assault rifle ban, is a catchy title, you know, try to make it of sound course, real, yeah, real scary. Um, understanding it still needs to clear the Senate, last time I checked, right? Correct. But it's, it's cleared the House, and um, your opinion on this thing, if it, if it passes the Senate, lands on governor's desk, will he sign this into law, and if so, is it constitutional? Oh, there's no question he'll sign it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think absolutely it's not constitutional. It might have been in question a few years ago, but the court uh, has, the U.S. Supreme Court has clarified this. The truth is the Washington State Constitution uh, is even more protective uh, of, uh, you know, our, our gun rights. Uh, but, uh, you know, in Washington we have an elected Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and uh, we haven't all paid attention to uh, the outcomes, uh, and uh, you know it turns out that uh, voting really matters, uh, and so in this case, that appointed U.S. Supreme Court, where it can go to, because it's also covered in the United States Constitution, uh, is I think pretty reliable, and I think it's quite likely that uh, the district uh, court will uh, declare a number of states laws and regulations unconstitutional. So it may not be as long a wait as it usually is. Interesting. Uh, based on that, there's a couple of things I pulled from various write-ups and whatnot. So language by those who oppose House Bill 1240. Uh, bans uh, provided a list of rifles, including many that are utilized by millions of Americans for self-defense and hunting. Um, it also goes the additional step of adding features of firearms, which simply expands the list to hundreds and hundreds more of firearms, okay? Mm -hmm. And then Tommy's got a point. This yeah. one from the legislator just blew my mind. Yeah, this is, yeah, this, so this is directly from the legislator. The legislature finds that the gun industry has specifically marketed these weapons as tactical, hyper-masculine, and military style in a manner that overtly appeals to troubled young men intent on becoming the next mass shooter. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, that's part of the intent section that is part of every bill that was written by uh, the author of the bill. I forgot who sponsored it. Uh, the legislature adopts that. There's not a Republican in the House or Senate that, that agrees with that. In fact, a big part of the debate was objecting to the way that they demonize people. And right. I, I think mm -hmm. one of the really awful things that have happened in politics, and it happens on both sides, that this time it's, it's the, the liberal gun banning side, is to demonize uh, your opponents. That's crazy. That tears everybody apart. It accomplishes nothing. And if you think, as, as I and many people do, that we've got a, a challenge in our country uh, and a crisis for young men, demonizing them further is not going to help anything. That's right. Well, and the other thing, too, is it's, a, it's an attack on the nuclear family, either directly or indirectly, right? Um, now, the thing that's interesting, and I want to ask this question, if you look at you know, gun, gun laws throughout the United States and you look at places like you know, Washington, D.C. or Chicago, right, where they've got some of the strictest gun laws in the country, and yet they have the highest <laughs> crime rate in the country, and so it's, it's clear that their gun laws have done nothing for them because violent crime is still high. Why are the Democrats always so aggressive about going after these gun laws and, and then pushing hard um, to try to get them, you know, get them into the legislation, even though we know that it's not going to prevent crime, it's not going to prevent shootings, it's not actually going to do anything. What's the deal there? Well, I think in part it's because in blue states it's become good politics. Uh, this polls well in Washington. Mm. Uh, when it didn't poll well, you didn't see people being as aggressive and pushing that legislation. But the other thing is, it's it's like a lot of ideology. Um, if if your ideology doesn't work, people don't give up on the ideology. They find out mm -hmm. someone new to blame. And what you will yeah. find, I think, if you talk to people in these areas that have even more restrictive gun rules than, than are being enacted in Washington, they will blame it on the adjoining state or the adjoining city. Mm. And, uh, you know, if, uh, God forbid, someday uh, we repeal the Second Amendment in the United States, then when crime happens, they will be blaming people in adjoining countries or sure. somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So if this thing marches on through, you think there's a high probability it'll be overturned in the courts. And the frustrating part there is the length of time it takes, mm -hmm. the changes in laws that, you know, then occur and then get then pulled back off or whatever the process is. But... There's a lot of time and money spent in chasing this pipe dream of banning these certain uh, guns and, and how it impacts us as hunters, all for it to be turned over by a court later on. Well, and every single person that is paying the price is not the person that is committing crimes. Correct. Th these are all innocent people that uh, are law-abiding, uh, not committing right. horrific uh, atrocities because... Uh, it, it's so obviously true. I don't know why we have to keep saying it. Uh, the law doesn't matter to that person that is going to go. That's right. They're not the law-abiding citizens yep, exactly. anyway. They follow the rules, so it doesn't matter. So, all right, we have... Uh, oh, by the way, let me yep. throw out one other thing. It, it, it almost boggles the mind, but in the same session where Democrats are passing... And by the way, there's a few Democrats that are voting against this, too. Oh, good. Bipartisan vote is no on some of these. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, these are being rammed through... Uh, they also passed a bill with only Democrat votes that eliminates uh, the extra penalties for crimes committed with guns or in mm. school zones. Go figure. That yeah. makes no sense. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, we still have to tackle House Bill 1143. This one has a whole lot of muddy water to it and it actually makes you feel almost as if you're a criminal simply by purchasing a firearm. So uh, we're going to get to that. we got to jump out for a quick break. We come back. 
More house bills, gun bans, you name it, we're going to tackle it with uh, Representative J.T. Wilcox right after this break, right here at Fish on Northwest. Sportco, an outdoor emporium, is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. This summer, make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. McCombie's customers are made in the Northwest for salmon, steelhead, lake trout, and kokanee. Our products come in a variety of sizes and colors to help you catch more fish. Find our products in stores or in McCombie'sCustomLures.com. Welcome back to the show. To New England, Tommy Dolan and Representative J.T. Wilcox here. Uh, hey, we're breaking down a couple of the standout gun laws or house bills that have been knocked around and, uh, you know, lots of, it seems like a lot of people in the public are somewhat educated on these two in particular. That's why I selected them because they're familiar. So House Bill uh, 1143, again, this has a whole lot of verbiage in there that when I read through it, it's like, I almost feel like a criminal just going in trying to buy a gun with the process they want to put me through. Speak a little bit mm -hmm. about some of the language in there and the process they're trying to put in place for you to simply be a law-abiding citizen purchasing a firearm. Yeah, and I think that this bill is kind of about throwing everything at the wall, mm -hmm. seeing what sticks. Yeah. Uh, it's been amended and, and narrowed a little bit. Uh, and I think they're also thinking about the court cases and, you know, will, will some part of their efforts survive court challenges? Uh, but, uh, you know, the idea that every weapon uh, has to, uh, any, anyone that buys any weapon has to undergo a background check. Everyone has to have the 10-day waiting period. Everybody has to have uh, the, the training that, uh, you know, probably is not that serious because you can't stand up an effort like that uh, at the drop of a hat. And the timing of these things. Uh, I think are objectionable to uh, the fact that there was a, an emergency clause uh, that means it goes into effect the day the governor signs it. Oh, uh, that leaves mm -hmm. you know so many small business people. Right. Uh, and I've had people writing me that are panicking about what do I do? I've got all this inventory. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame for panicking. These are not big companies right. for the most part that are retailing. Uh, and this is just designed to hurt people. Uh, and uh, I'll be glad when the court strikes you know most or all of it down. Yeah. And there's a laundry list in 1143. I think you, you mentioned a few of them. They also want to maintain a, a gun registry, a database of, of every single person that, that owns a gun. Um, and who knows what will happen with that. And then the other thing is they've, they want to have this state system where the firearm dealers, and again, it's just, it's like one more hurdle that has to be, that has to be tried to be cleared, right? The firearm dealer has to contact WSP firearms uh, background check yeah. program to conduct background checks um, for any transfer, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want to transfer one to you, yeah. right, instead of just paying that transfer Sell it or gift it or otherwise, right. it doesn't matter. That, now right. we got a timeout. Oh, we got to go to WSP. We mm -hmm. got to do that, um, that firearm check through the background program. And then there's, a, of course, there's a fee associated with that, mm -hmm. right? And so part of this, part of this bill, I think, is they're trying to nickel and dime you, right? Hey, you got to be trained in firearms training. You got to pay for it. Yep. Hey, you got to pay this fee. You got to pay that fee. You got to so pay the fee for us to conduct the background. So, yeah. so yeah. WSP is up against it as it is with a lack of troopers on the roads conducting That's business. A great point. Now they want to shove this in there 
wheelhouse and tell them they're responsible to complete these. Uh, and if it gets backlogged at WSP on the background checks, the state can just simply throw their hands in there and go, well, it's not us, it's, it's, the, tr- it's the WSP. Yeah, and I think one of the net effects that are really, really unfortunate is uh, a lot of people are going to be in violation, either because uh, they threw up their hands and yeah. gave up with the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. or they you know, weren't aware Yep. Uh, it's not easy to keep track of no, every regulation. Not. And they're not turning these into tiny little infractions. As I recall, these are gross misdemeanors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so criminalizing things that uh, people have routinely been able to do uh, for the whole history of the state of Washington, I, I think, is equally wrong. Yeah, well said. Real quick, because we're going to get out of here, but uh, is fingerprinting involved in that? I've read multiple things, whether it is or isn't. No, I don't Background check. Is. Okay, that and would again, that would be a game changer. The bill's been narrowed quite a bit yeah. because yeah. there were parts of it that were clearly unworkable. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, hey, we have much more to get to. That is going to do it for the first half of the show here on Root Sports. Don't go anywhere. Second half of the show coming up right after this break. Allied, the new leader in heavy gauge aluminum boats. Allied boats have standard reverse china and lifting rakes to help you plane faster and run at lower RPMs. Allied boats have several models to choose from, ranging from a 19-foot Mustang all the way up to a 32-foot Liberator. So regardless of what type of heavy gauge aluminum boats you are looking for, Allied boats will have it for you. Contact Allied boats today to learn more about these incredible fishing machines. Hey guys, I'm Big Mike. Come on down to the Edge Pro Shop and see me. We've got all the best brands under one roof. We've got Hawken, Procure, Short Bus, Pro Troll, Yakima Bait, Get Them Dry Jigs, Northwest Bait Scent, Daiwa Reels, North Fork Lures, North Wild, Brad's, Superfly, Rocky Mountain Tackle, and of course, the greatest rods ever built, Edge rods. All right, hey, welcome back to Fish on Northwest. We're here in the Bait Lab. Bait Labs are brought to you by Sport Cone Outdoor Emporium. Everything on this table, literally, well, except for maybe the salt, can't be purchased at Sport Co. or Outdoor Emporium. All right, it is springer season. The, the, the weather is still cold. We actually have possible rain and snow mix in the forecast going into next Monday, Tuesday, the final week of our springer opportunity here this first uh, part of the season. Um, water temperature's cold. The rivers are teeming with smelt and sea lions, so the bite has been very, very tough. Uh, Do yourself a favor. At least go after them with a plan. And by a plan, I mean have bait and and items that you can count on, rely on, that are going to get it done, entice these finicky buggers to bite. Tonight, we're going to talk about some anchovy. We're going to talk about some green label herring. Got some Potsky's fire gel for additional scent. Tuna recipe with krill. It's all here, it all works, and it's applicable to what we're trying to uh, achieve. Uh, Tommy and I always start with harbor herring. You can't go wrong with harbor herring. Some of the very best, if not the best, uh, anchovies and herring on the market, uh, hands down. So let's talk about these anchovies. So one thing we know for certain about anchovies is they're a soft-bodied bait fish. The bellies like to blow out. There's some things we can do to make them a little more durable, make so they fish more durable, That way you know you're actually trolling a bait in good condition, not just wasting your time. So I start with Potsky's firebrine. Typically I'll do uh, natural firebrine on my anchovy unless I want to add a little bit of something extra. And you know it takes very little 
of the Posky's Blue Firebrine into my natural mix to give that bait just that real slight bluing that we try to achieve. I don't like to make my baits for river fishing really dark, dark, dark blue. I like them just to have a little bit. So I will literally take a bottle of natural fire brine and I will add in, it's usually about a half cup or so of the blue. And you can see once that gets mixed in there, it's gonna add just a certain amount of light bluing to my anchovy. The other thing I like to do is I will mix in 10 to 15 drops of anise or anise, depending where you come from. I like to run anchovies with some anise scent, it's a little bit of bluing to them, um, and make them durable. The other thing you can do, the Potsky's Firebrine works very well, but I will also add, to again, make them more durable because their bellies are soft, a quarter cup of non-iodized sea salt, if you can find it, or non-iodized salt. Quarter cup into a full bottle mixture of this Firebrine, really toughens the anchovies up nicely, doesn't wrinkle the skin, doesn't destroy the scales on them. It just, it makes it a firm bait. So what else can we do to ensure that they're going to fish durable and last long? I always fish them in a Rise Davis helmet. And these are so easy to use. And I know you've seen Tommy and I have talked about them in the past. Well, it's a sliding helmet on your leader. It's a mooching rig, uh, hooks with a with uh, two three-aughts, or you can run a four-aught at the front where it actually uh, hooks into the fish. So pretty simple to do, okay? Um, and it takes an extra toothpick for friction. You gotta have your pin. And uh, simply by putting this anchovy into the helmet, first of all, I want to grab the meat of this fish where I know I'm gonna get a bend on the bait that's gonna that's gonna react well in the helmet and get a really tight spin. So instead of just hooking one side of the bait or simply grabbing a little bit of flesh, I like to anchor this right below the dorsal fin and I'm pushing that through and grabbing the entire bait. Notice where the trailer hook is, right off the tail here, okay? Now, I can slide the helmet down here. First thing I wanna do is I look in here, I see you don't have a toothpick in the, in the friction uh, point. So we're going to put that toothpick in there, push it in nice and tight, and we're just going to break that off, okay? Once that's broken, now I got friction. When I pull this leader, it's going to hold in position really tight. So now we're going to stuff the head of that anchovy right into the helmet. We're going to pin it through the eyeball. It goes straight through, okay? Get that in there. Now that that is anchored and I have a good pull point and I got my friction here, I can simply pull this a little bit and I get a lot of travel out of that and I get a good bend on that anchovy that's going to, in that helmet with the angle cut on that and a little spin, a little bend on that, that is a durable bait in a helmet. It's brined, it's tough, it's going to spin for a long time. Change them out about every 20 minutes or so just to keep fresh bait in. But that is an option for your anchovies and I really, again, like running them a light little bit of blue with some anise. Let's talk about herring. So I got my inline rotator um, versus these, uh, this anchovy. I told you guys last week, I run these things on a 30-inch leader behind my 360s. I literally run them short, uptight, lots of flash, anchovy, bait, short leader, right behind my 360 out the back, okay? Um, whereas on my inline flashers, my triangles, this is the 10-inch by YBC, I am going to use a 52 inch leader and I'm taking my herring and look, you can go with the old school 
uh, miter box so you get your perfect cut on there. Or you can, if you do it often enough, you can lay your herring on the table. I like to get to the underside of that fin if you can, okay? And we're going to go 45 and 45, pretty sharp knife. Cut it down and put a nice edge on that herring. So either way of doing it, it's a 45-45 to get it in there, okay? Make sure we pull the guts out of this one. Now, this one I pre-cut, and you can do that. You can put whole herring in your brine. You can pre-cut them and toughen that edge a little bit so it adds color, it adds toughness uh, to, that, to that edge. Now you take your mooching rig. We're going to go to the short side of the herring. I like to go in as far as I can before I pop that out, okay? And this hook's going to get pushed all the way through. Now, I like to put my thumb over that so as I draw that hook through, it doesn't really tear the meat, okay? This one here, this is our anchor point. I go in on shallow side uh, to grab backbone and I come out on the high side. Now that goes through at an angle, 45, thereby it grabs the backbone. So you don't just get the hooks ripping out through the flesh. It actually goes around the backbone and stays anchored in there. So you've got a really strong, durable pull point, which does make a difference in how long that bait is gonna fish. So things to think about, you know, the best way to figure out your pull points and if it's working or not, you cut those, you, you hook them up, you drop them in the water and see how effectively and efficiently they spin. We want a real tight spin on these things. We want them going like a drill bit. And that particular cut and that pull point for me works all the time. And notice the length of that trailer hook. That's my three-aught and it's right there at the tail for those short biters. It's out there just freely going. Uh, hoping to uh, find its way into the mouth of that Chinook when he does decide to grab that herring. Couple other things we can do that are very beneficial. Uh, simple tuna um, in the can. Now the, the argument is still out there. Do you use tuna and oil? Do you use tuna and water? Either or, sometimes it's what you can find. I try to use the oil. First of all, it's very reasonably priced. And yeah, I get it, the oil comes out and it floats up, but it also does get push down river, uh, creating that scent trail, which is what we want. A couple cans of tuna in a small container. If you want to add some krill powder to it, you certainly can. If you want to add some liquid krill to it, you certainly can. Now, make up your tuna, just run straight tuna. I like to add krill, add a little extra scent to it, things that really smell fishy together. And that is what I'm running inside my uh, brads, whether it's the mini cup plug, or the kokanee cup plugs. Last week we talked about the efficientness of the kokanee cup plugs. Much smaller bait, much smaller presentation. I think the hardest thing to do with those is to not overpack them with tuna. So watch or be mindful about how much you put in there. But a tuna and krill combination inside your cup plugs will uh, do an amazing job. The other thing you can do with your tuna, the, uh, the Max Lure flashers, whether it's the 360 or as I showed you last week on the inline rotator, remember, these open up, right? These open up and you can actually pack your tuna right inside your flasher. And you just line it in there. Again, don't overpack it, but spread it out the length of this thing. And because of the holes and the way this thing is constructed, once you snap it together and hook that into your rig and it's spinning, that tuna is literally washing out of this uh, 360 flasher and or this inline triangle rotator. Again, chartreuse, chrome flash, uh, moon jelly if you have it, red, okay? There's a combination there that works very well. So some things to think about 
Another option with the uh, fire gel. Tuna fire gel smells amazing. If you don't want to mess around with the tuna in your, in your flashers or in your Brad's cut plugs, you can literally take some of the tuna fire gel, the herring, the anise, any and all of it. You can uh, put it on your flashers. You can put it on your cut plugs, inside your cut plugs so it lasts. It can run literally for hours and still have an extremely strong uh, smell of what it's designed to smell like, if it's the tuna or the herring. Coming off of your flashers, coming off of your cup plugs, it lasts, especially in the cold water. It does very well. So that is a great option. Potskies makes about 35 different scents that you can use on flashers, spoons, uh, your Brad cut plugs, spinners, anything you want to put it on. It lasts. It smells great. It's a nice alternative. So just some options on curing bait. Make sure they're durable. Fish them. Change them out every 20 minutes or so on these finicky biters, and hopefully you get out there and find some success. All right, we're going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. We'll be back in studio with uh, Representative J.T. Wilcox and a whole host of more questions coming from you guys with the representative. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All Defiance boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why all boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. All Defiance boats come standard with large fish boxes that are fully insulated so that you can ice your fish properly all day. All Defiance boats are foam flotation filled and unsinkable for the ultimate in safety while fishing offshore. Before you buy any boat, stop by or call Defiance boats today to ensure you are getting the very best glass boat your money can buy. Welcome back to the show here in studio, Dwayne England, Tommy Dolan, and yes, uh, JT Wilcox is still here uh, looking for more abuse, apparently. Uh, Tommy, it looks like uh, we got a question from Warren Hayes, wants to know when we're going to do a bait lab discussion on downriggers in the ocean for salmon and what weights to use on your downriggers, what size type brand, blah, blah, blah. blah. I will so cover all of that, my we friend. We can cover that it's and what types up. of spoons and other colors. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Warren, we got, uh, well, look, we're looking at earliest of June opportunity out there in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So we got a little bit of time. We got some turkey hunting to get through. Got some halibut. Got, got some, some halibut, some lingcod to get through. Yep. So, but uh, yes, we will bring that to you. Excellent uh, suggestion. For anybody else, you got bait labs that you want to see. Uh, just let Tommy and I know, and we are more than happy to get them out there. Sometimes we do not uh, do not get uh, everything you know out there that others are thinking of. We get out there what we like to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you know, we try our best. So. All right, um, man, sea lions, JT. It's been uh, it's been a a uh, discussion at many tables. It is becoming it's more than a problem at this point. It's not you know they used to be a nuisance. You know, uh, folks used to complain about them whether you're fishing salt water in the rivers, or whatever, because they're taking your fish, and that's you know that's all cute and everything. But this is getting to a level of Completely out of control. It's it, you know they're invasive species in the rivers. Look, they are a sea lion. They're not a river lion, as it was pointed out to me. They're not a freshwater lion, <laughs> right. right? They are a sea lion. So um, now it's not just sea lions, though. We're talking harbor seals too. Oh yes, we are. Because we have an overpopulation of harbor, harbor seals, seals gray seals. Well. Absolutely, yeah. they all yeah. have an impact. I got them all listed here. So just a little history, uh, JT. We had recently uh, Nate Pamplin. Um, director of external affairs at WDFW on the show, and um, they were excited to come on and talk about some of the forward movement, albeit a little slow because of the politics and all. Um, legislators made a proviso, approved WDFW to work with the Washington State Academy of Science to do some research, and it took them a couple years, but they generated a pretty substantial amount of information on that. So 
according to Nate, the legislators have been briefed on this. I'm kind of wondering, the legislature as a whole, um, are we truly aware of what's going on? Is it like on the radar and being discussed, or is this kind of just something that gets kicked around a little bit, a few are paying attention to? When they say that the legislature been, has been briefed, I think he's probably talking about the uh, House and Senate uh, Ag Committees, sure. Ag and Natural Resources. Okay. And those, those people tend to be on those committees for a long, long time, mm -hmm. uh, and they are very well informed. And in the House, uh, it's a unique committee. They will not do a bill that isn't uh, bipartisan. Uh, I, I know personally every one of them. In fact, I put on a dinner out at the farm for all of them. Uh, about a week and a half ago. Oh yeah, and uh, I'm I'm sure that they're very well informed. Uh, the challenge with the uh, predators is uh, they're mammals. They're regulated federally, right? Uh, which means that the legislature can't really do much. We can just fund studies that you can then take back to D.C. and and lobby with. Uh, and unfortunately, because it's a federal issue, the tribes can't take action. And you know, the tribes have been the people that hazed. Uh, mammals and hunted mammals for thousands of years, right. and they're not allowed to fulfill that function right now. Yeah, that's part of the problem. And, and so, like, <laughs> yes. you know, let me just—I'm going to say the obvious, just just for everyone, just to say it out loud here. But you know, the Washington State Academy of Science, right? In their in their findings, uh, the conclusion was uh, we have an overpopulation of pinheads. It's too high, and it is impeding the recovery of salmon. Okay, there. That is the executive summary of, of what they found, which we kind of all knew before, um, but they just proved it out in their, uh, in their research. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's more, there's a couple ways to address the problem, right? Um, you can address the problem directly by, you know, managing the pinniped population, um, or does it make sense to, and again, remember, um, it also has an impact on the orcas, right? So you have all these pinnipeds running around out there. They're eating the salmon. They're, they're taking more than their take because they're overpopulated. And so does it not make sense to increase schnook population in order to make sure that we don't have an adverse impact on orcas? Well, I agree totally. Uh, and, and as I've said, Republicans have consistently been the ones that said we have to use all of the hatchery capacity available and increase the capacity as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, that may not overcome what the pinnipeds are doing. And the thing that is, is even more tragic, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that are being affected here. First of all, the taxpayers of Washington are putting in hundreds of millions of dollars a year uh, and over time billions of dollars into all kinds of uh, regulatory efforts that, that, you know, where the costs are borne by the private landowner. Um, into uh, acquisition, into uh, performing uh, uh, conservation measures on the ground, uh, at the same time as we're putting tens of millions of dollars into hatcheries, uh, and we're not getting a, a result yet. And the other thing that I think is pretty critical, I, I heard this once from a Makah tribal fisherman, he said, you know, we cannot stop fishing. If we stop fishing, uh, regardless of the reason, for a few years, our youth will lose their mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. And what I really appreciated about what he said is he didn't stop with his youth. He says, and I know that there are many non-tribal families yep. that fish, and they care about their culture too. Yep. That's a valid point. Amen. I mean, holding on to heritage is, I mean, we all like to do that, no matter what your walk of life comes from. So you can't discredit them because that's their position they're taking. Mm -hmm. It's very, uh, very important to them, right? So, you know, um, Tommy made the point to say, obviously, it's been recognized as we have an overpopulation that's 
compromising the recovery of salmon and steelhead in our state. They also went on to say that not intervening at this point would continue to depress uh, salmon uh, recovery, right? In other words, they're putting out there, hey, if we do nothing, it's not like it's just going to go away. It will continue to actually get worse, right? So, and there are three kind of options because of the federal regulations with the, with the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 72 that they've kind of laid out there. Um, and, yeah, and let's get into these. Yeah. So, so these three, so the first one, this one has never been done, and that's return management authority back to the state. I don't know, given the, the current makeup of the commission, that that would uh -huh. be a good idea. What's your thoughts on proposal one that's never been done, as Tommy just alluded to? Well, I think ordinarily I'd say, yeah, give it back to the states. Uh, I'm not sure that Washington State is, will, will grasp the nettle and do something. I, I've got another option, and that is the co-managers and the tribes. Right. Right. Yeah, I concur with that. Before we go to number two, in comparison, my mind goes to... The ultimate goal, federal regulations, when it comes to management of wolves on the landscape, is to get it to a rebound recovered status, to where you can then turn management of your wolf programs back over to your states. Thereby, you can also allow, and we're not going there with pinnipeds, I get it, but you know, as far as hunters mm -hmm. and the, the ability to help manage the overpopulation of wolves or, or maintain management of wolves at the state level. But yet here we talk about pinnipeds. This is an option on the on the table that they've recognized. It's number one on the list, and yet they've never pulled the trigger on that. No pun intended. Yeah, true. And the state has a dismal record of uh, regulating wolves as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We've talked about my friend Joel Kretz. Yes. He has a favorite bill uh, that has uh, offered to reintroduce wolves to Bainbridge Island, yes, so that uh, I heard, I read people that. that live there can enjoy the environmental <laughs> benefits of wolves. Doesn't Barbara Baker live on Bainbridge Island? Uh, so I think she's from Olympia. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's anyway, a good one. All good right, point. so hey, let's go to number two. All so right. the second one, and this one's interesting. Not sure how to take this. Ask for a waiver on the take moratorium and request a permit. Yeah, you know, that's been done uh, on uh, Columbia, and uh, they are doing some lethal removal. Uh, I guess that's their word. I'd say they're shooting a few. Yeah. Uh, but the numbers are small. Uh, but, you know, this may be one of those 90-10 problems where if, if you take out the real abusers uh, and, you know, as, as a side benefit, you're hazing the rest, you may make a, a worthwhile uh, difference, mm. and this is one of the reasons that there's been, you know, research funded because we want to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, and that kind of leads to the third option, which allows for removal of individually identifiable pinnipeds. Uh, you know, i.e., the ones that are are problematic, and you mm -hmm. see them, you know, eating that eight foot sturgeon, ripping the belly out, and then not <laughs> consuming the fish. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if there's enough money in the Washington state budget to fund enough people to identify all these, you know, pinniped abusers that should be shot. This has been the current practice of what they've been allowed to do currently as it relates to the Columbia River, right? This right. is, and they had, a, they put a number on it. It's like, we can only exterminate a certain number of sea lions. And then they also had the stellar yeah. sea lions, right? But, you know, there's nothing in the talks, as far as I'm aware of, you know, when we start talking Puget Sound, Tommy alluded to it mm -hmm. earlier, harbor seals, gray seal, all, it's a huge wide problem. Um, can we get there following this model? 
I guess I'm skeptical that uh, that you can do it in such a small scale. And let's be honest, we live in a state where they don't want the police to chase felons. <laughs> do, you, do, you think it's, do you think it's practical that uh, we're going to let people uh, shoot pinnipeds in Puget Sound? No. Uh, but in mm -hmm. the end, it has to get there. And and uh, I, you know, I. I hate leaving uh, the hardest things for the tribes because they care about uh, uh, public perceptions, and I think uh, they've been very careful in how they talk about this. Uh, but uh, they, as I've said many times, they are the best allies that we have in managing fish and many other natural resources, mm -hmm. and uh, this is a partnership that we have to pursue. So as far as as you kind of keep uh, referring to, JT, the optic lens, so... I guess when you wrap your head around it, our, our recreational population within the state of Washington, well, just throughout the Northwest, but this is a, this is a Washington state issue right now. Um, so 11% of us fish, 3% of us hunt. So collectively, I mean, we're less than 15% of the population of the state. So yeah, you know, if we just all raise the flag and go, hey, um, Northwest Treaty Tribes, let's, you know, you guys go do your work and let's just start killing these. You got 85% of the population that is looking at the tribes as just unethical. I get it, man. It'd be like, you know, they're just basically cutting their own throat. So Yeah, and we I, can't do that to them. We, no. we have to be partners and, uh, and mutually supporting allies. And, yeah. You know, in the legislature, that, that has happened. Uh, I, I just feel, actually, in, in some of the river basins, on the Nisqually, for example, uh, I, I've got a, a lifelong uh, relationship with uh, the Nisqually tribe. My dad uh, fostered that over many years, and uh, we are really good at cooperating in the Nisqually River Basin on land use issues and all kinds of things. We've tried really hard to spread that model across the state, and I absolutely would not want to put any tribe in the position of, of uh, being damaged in, you know, in the public eyes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I want all of us to be partners in doing this. And, you know, honestly, one of the reasons why orcas have become part of this is uh, a lot more people care about orcas than care about hunters. This is mm -hmm. true. Uh, and so I'm a big orca <laughs> fan. And the truth mm -hmm. is, uh, we know now that some of these orcas come down when they get into the South Puget Sound. They're hazing those pinnipeds, mm -hmm. and there's been a measurable increase in salmon making it up the southern Puget Sound rivers when sure. we've got those orcas. Down. Orcas in the mm -hmm. South Sound. So yeah. So as uh, suffice it to say, you uh, you know David Trout pretty well. I do. Yeah. Yeah. David's been a frequent guest in studio oh, here. Oh, good. Yeah. No, we have a lot of really good discussions with him uh, as it relates to the Squally Tribe. Some of the yeah. things they're trying to. Uh, employ and, and you know Im impact on the fisheries and how to bring the fisheries back and just a lot of the really neat unique science that they're trying to accomplish there in South Puget Sound. So David's a great guy. He's actually on here tonight. He says hi. Oh good, I'm glad. <laughs> yep, he's here. So uh, all right, well we've uh, we've uh, beat down the pinnipeds uh, long enough. Let's talk a little bit about some fishing. We we kind of mentioned earlier some salmon fishing. So yeah. you get your boat out. I mean you get out on the ocean if you go. You uh, Puget Sound. What's kind of your uh, what's kind of your goal? Well, I've done a little bit of fishing uh, around uh, Point Defiance. I I've done some uh, I have done some fishing, but not much catching down in South Puget Sound. Mm -hmm. But uh, for the last twenty five years, uh, we've been able to spend a couple weeks in Canada, and uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunities that are up there. 
Uh, I've kind of got a habit now of spending a couple weeks uh, just north of Campbell River. In fact, uh, John Braun, the Senate Minority Leader, helped me take my boat up there uh, last year. And uh, I I love Browns Bay, Big Bay, all of Desolation Sound, Mm -hmm. uh, the Green Can, you know, all the well-known places up there. And if you get skunked there, you go up to Port McNeil. Yep, and, go a little uh, further north. I've just, uh, you know, wanted to take our legislature up there and let them see what a real natural resource economy can look like. Because right. they, they have it all up there. They've managed it carefully. Uh, and, uh, boy, sports fishing is, is a business and a way of life up there. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they have a winter schnook fishery, I will, I will add. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, that we do not have. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so when you're up there... You got you got some major decisions to make. Do you go with bait or do you go with hardware, hoochie, spoons? You got a favorite lure? What does well, your tackle box look like? Well, the last few years I've been able to do it where it's just dedicated to fishing instead of sailing with a little fishing mm-hmm. stuck in when the family would let me do it. Uh, and uh, I, I've got this great method. Uh, I go to the bait shop at Browns Bay. I ask the lady there ah. what to use. Right behind her is a framed picture of her on the cover of uh, Vancouver Island fisherman or something, and she's got about a 40-pound uh, Chinook, so I believe her. <laughs> yeah, take and her word. She, she tells me to go to 225 feet uh, with uh, a uh, green flasher and a blue and chrome spoon. And I, I just do what she tells me, and we catch fish. And you catch fish. <laughs> yeah. Local knowledge, right? Yep. That's what we rely That's on at right. times, local knowledge. So is it salmon? Is it uh, other fish? Do you, you know... Lake fishing, fly fishing, anything else, or is it pretty much salmon when you get time and it's it's available? Well, now it's it's pretty much salmon. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we don't we don't have any salmon uh, open in Puget Sound now. Mm-hmm. But I've got some cousins up in uh, Bellingham, and and we jumped over to uh, South Pender Island in mm-hmm. Canada. And you know, you don't have to go through customs if you don't touch. Sure. Yep. And yep. so uh, we fished a couple of days up there, and uh, you know, we were expecting some. 10-pound blackmouth, uh, but we were doing pretty good. I, I didn't weigh it, but I got one that was probably about 20. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another nice one that was about got 15. Got those springers, huh? So mm-hmm. that was yeah. good. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, uh, we just, you know, we either worked or we fished or hunted on the farm. There was not a lot of social life. No uh, video games? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a sin. Pong? Yeah. Oh, so, you know, uh, Nisqually River fishing. Yeah. Uh, nothing real big there, but, but we did a lot of fishing, and uh, Hearts Lake was planted. Right. And uh, that, was, that was a great way to grow up. Perfect. Okay, so what about destination trips? You ever do a blue water trip? You ever go anyplace warm? One of the best trips I've ever done in my life. I, I still can't believe she said yes. Uh, Kathy and I were talking about where to go for our um, 25th anniversary. And we had some thought that didn't pan out, and we were sitting in my office, and she said, well, JT, if you could just do whatever you wanted, what would it be? I said, well, I'd go fly fishing. Huh? Uh, and she said, well, I'll go if it's a good lodge with good food. And so we went to the Gallatin River Lodge in Montana, uh, went fly fishing for three days for our 25th anniversary, and Kathy had only fly fished once, it, it was more damn fun, and I, I just appreciate her so much Perfect. for doing that. <laughs> yeah, destination fisheries are great. So, awesome, man. Well, you know, it's great that you had the opportunity to grow up and take advantage of some of the things that this state has to offer, you know, growing up on the farm, 
which a lot of lot of uh, folks don't get to do in this state. And mm-hmm. of course, as you and I have talked in the past, I have a lot of cousins who grew up on farms, and yeah. and not a lot of them were uh, kind of transitioned to the outdoors. But for you to be able to take advantage of that as a kid and just continue to carry it on as in your adult life here um, really helps us know that there is hope within the walls of justice there in Olympia, that there are people that hold these traditions near and dear to your heart. And so it's not that you're just legislating, you know, for all the legalities out there, but you're also you're also legislating for things that you care about, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. So uh, good, good on you. So, all right, we're going to jump out for another quick break. And then uh, we come back, we're going to kind of close this thing down. But we can't let you out of here unless we do talk a little bit about the debacle that is the Fish and Wildlife Commission. So <laughs> you just sit right there. We're going to get yes. out for a quick break, coming right back here in studio with Representative uh, J.T. Wilcox right after this. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride in Bremerton, Washington. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why Arima boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. Arima can offer every boat with Honda outboard packages so that you can take advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. Call or stop by Arima boats today and let them help you get into your very next boat. All right, welcome back here in studio as we wind down the show. Do we Tommy Donlin in? Yes, Representative J.T. Wilcox. So, as I mentioned before the break, we have a few things, a few questions to put to you um, as it relates to our current situation with our Fish and Wildlife Commission. Very frustrating, to say the least. It is, it is. And, you know, no doubt we've got new Fish and Wildlife Commissioners. Now, they're new. They're kind of assigned, I guess you would say. They haven't been formally, officially appointed into that position. Is there an explanation why we haven't appointed any of these fish and game commissioners since 2018? Well, it's really a governor's appointment, and we've got some major quarrels with the governor's appointments in some other areas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like the Building Code Council, for example, uh, where his appointments have not seemed to uh, align with what the law says is supposed to be done in terms of stakeholders. Uh, so that's one problem. Uh, the other problem is the way the system is set up is they serve, once they're appointed by the governor, they serve whether they're confirmed or not. Right. And, um, you know, I, I've not asked over in the Senate uh, why they are not uh, running those, um, I forget the name of the process, uh, but I, I would imagine that it's because those appointments are so controversial that uh, they would hear a lot of testimony that they don't really want to hear. So politically, they don't want to take on the burden of being on that Senate uh, hearing or panel to say, yes, we confirmed XYZ commissioner after Inslee's appointment. They don't want to have that label. Yeah, when, when it's not necessary, sure. you know, I think it's, uh, it's easy to ignore that. But uh, I haven't asked that question. Sure. And That's fair. They may have a different explanation. It's uh, it's just it it just kind of blows me away. We have a recognized process written into law or whatever it is, RCW, whatever it falls under. There's a process. There's a recognized process of appointment, Senate committee, com- uh, for the commissioners. You know, question answer period. Are we going to confirm <laughs> them or not? And yet there's no confirmation on any of these since 2018. And you just kind of go, why is there even a, if there's no recourse, if there's no accountability, nobody can call you out for not doing your job, then I guess you just don't do it. So 
I found it very interesting a couple days ago. I'm perusing. I'm always looking for information. And lo and behold, yep, a new article just came up. And uh, Senator Kevin Vandeway, for those that don't know, he's the committee chair on the uh, Agriculture and Water, Natural Resources and Parks Committee. That's a huge title. <laughs> so that committee cracks me up. It's like, could you make the title? It doesn't even fit on the damn door. So uh, he went on record stating, uh, JT, I think you're aware of this, that he wasn't thrilled about doing WDFW any favors as they weren't willing to help me out with my priorities. Then he goes on to say, the tides have changed, however, with Governor Jay Inslee's appointing more conservation-minded commissioners. And then he also made it known that I made a commitment with the governor that I would try and get as many of his appointments confirmed as possible. So to me, this is really the politicization of our Fish and Wildlife Commission. You think it just, it's what we see on the surface with these appointees and these, you know, these, these, Animal lovers want to pet them at a zoo, don't want to manage our predator, kind of a surface look. But when you drill down deep on this thing, and now you get information and persons making statements in articles to newspapers, Senator Vandeway is just putting it out there, man, like, yeah, I'm not doing it because they're not giving me what I want. Well, I think I would interpret it slightly differently. I think he's sending a message to the governor. Okay. Uh, and... Um, I, I don't think that Kevin is that happy with those appointments either. Okay, I'll take your word on that. Yeah, and, um, you know, because Kevin has been pretty supportive of sportsmen. Uh, so he, he is talking about things that uh, sound, sound like political horse trading, uh, but at the same time, uh, I think that's a message to the governor that uh, Kevin and probably a lot of other Democrats aren't very happy with those appointments either. Well, I appreciate your perspective on that because me being the layperson reading that, I'm like, this really sounds like he's trying to ensure he's going to, you know, confirm these appointees back to the governor because he said he's going to do his best. But he's not really in a hurry to do it because he doesn't like some of the management styles of WDFW and salmon recovery. So. Well, he'd find a lot of argument, a lot of agreement with that as okay. well. You don't, you don't find a lot of people that are are really happy with WDFW. You know, and there's parts of it. I, I think that their enforcement uh, are often, you know, really dedicated professionals. And oh yeah, I've enjoyed the time that I spend with them. Uh, but um, I think in in other ways uh, they haven't been very cooperative or helpful. Mm. So next question. So you've got this commission, and they're not even trying to hide their agenda. It's it's out there in plain sight because um, they've voted it. They've declared it multiple times. They've canceled the spring bear hunt. They they've gone so far as to say, well, you know, why does it matter that so much of the the blues elk herd is being demolished by predators, right? Why does that elk objective have to be so high? Why can't it just be, you know, thirty six hundred instead of five thousand plus, right? And so it's clear that, you know, they're very anti-hunting, pro-predator, um, and, and really, like I said, they haven't, they haven't hidden that. So what can, what can be done to, you know, change that? How do we, how do we change that? How, how can we hold the commission accountable for what their, their true mission is? Well, I think uh, there's been some lawsuits filed recently, and uh, it sounds like uh, there's been some partial success uh, so far. Uh, it's it's painful to have to go that route. You shouldn't have to, and it's hard to finance uh, those lawsuits mm -hmm. when it's uh, you know just individual sportsmen that 
that have to put up the money, uh, and that's a sign that government isn't working. I'll tell you what, uh, what it's also a sign of. It's a sign of generational single-party government. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that motivates me far more than Republican versus Democrat stuff is um, uh, single-party government is a disaster for everybody, and, and it absolutely corrupts, and it corrupts both sides. Uh, if you had a more functional uh, two-party system in Washington, you would see a variety of commissioners because you'd have different mm-hmm. kinds of governors mm-hmm. um, appointing those people. And we've, we're into, what is it, year number 11 of Jay Inslee, so mm-hmm. he's been able to do whatever he wants. And um, whether you agree with him or not, you, you should be able to agree that the same point of view shouldn't prevail forever. Right. Yeah, currently it's responsible for seven of our current nine seated commissioners. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, the mold has been made, and they keep filling the mold, and they pop out <laughs> another minion to follow, you know, the agenda. So it's uh, it's very frustrating. So um, speaking of lawsuits and whatnot, nice segue. Uh, as we all know, that um, Sportsman's Alliance filed a lawsuit, particularly, specifically against Commissioner Lorna Smith. Uh, they didn't go after the whole commission. They went specifically after Lorna Smith because of her holding two seats on different boards, uh, which is not legal to do so in the state of Washington with her seat on the commission, uh, thereby what they've stated in the lawsuit. Um, Washington State has gone on record to say they're going to uh, represent or support her in fighting this lawsuit. Now, Again, they're not going after the whole commission. They're just going after Lorna Smith. So why is Washington State stepping in to say we're going to uh, we're going to uh, support her? Well, there's a certain amount of discretion uh, at the attorney general's office. Um, now, I've got an example of a member of my caucus who was sued in connection with his public work, and they declined to offer a defense. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think this is another symptom of the same team always being in charge. And I, I mentioned I think it creates corruption. I'm not talking about people taking bribes. Sure. Although that happens, you know, in any kind of government. Uh, what I really mean in this case is the team always looks after itself. Mm-hmm. And there really is is nowhere near the kind of oversight that there would be if both parties felt like I could be in the minority someday or I could be in the majority. Mm-hmm another day. And I don't know this person. I have no opinion about the the validity of the lawsuit, but it bothers me that I've got a member of my caucus who didn't get defended. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I see this. And you know what? We don't know. It may be that there is some part of the um, commission charter that provides a more aggressive defense as well. Sure. Uh, before we delve into your other passion uh, relative to the outdoors uh, and hunting, and Tommy and I are looking forward to this because a couple of those pictures you sent me are pretty, uh, pretty interesting to generate discussion. The overwhelming question on here tonight, coming from a bunch of people, a lot of your supporters and, and looking at your political career and potential future, where it's going to go, what do you think the number one question is? Uh, when am I going to retire? No, absolutely <laughs> no. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> when are you going to announce your uh, position on running for governor? Oh, well, it's nice of him to ask that. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, you've got a certain, you've got a certain amount of time when, when you're good at this, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting towards the end of mine. And uh, there's been things I'm good at, uh, but, you know, I also, 
you you lose your passion uh-huh. as well. And uh, I I don't I don't want to do this uh, to the point where I'm letting people down. Okay. Yeah. Fair answer. Makes a lot of sense. folks on here will be disappointed. They're already dropping the emoji cry faces and all that stuff. But <laughs> well, <laughs> tough enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we thought uh, we thought maybe you'd give a little glimmer of hope there for uh, this state and heading uh, one party rule for so long and misdirection, but. All right, um, fair enough. So let's talk about hunting. You grew up hunting. Uh, what was the first gun you ever ever fired? Remember? Yeah, my dad had an old uh, Springfield single shot twenty two. Okay. And he made me sand the stock and reblue it and everything. But uh, it was a little scary. The it didn't have a safety and the and the sear was a little jumpy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Had to, had, to lose, had to learn gun safety right off well, the bat. Well, yeah. muzzle control, yeah, absolutely. Muzzle control. Muzzle discipline. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I failed because I wanted to, I meant to drop on there for Jordan the uh, couple pictures that you had sent me. Uh, one is an elk uh, with an open sight rifle that I want to talk about. One of them is a uh, nice 3 by 3 blacktail with a, uh, with a nice pistol laying next to it. So let's talk about that elk and the open sight uh, shooting and what gun that is and, and uh, how, how long a shot you make it with open sights out there in the field. Well, that's Moroku uh, 1886, and uh, I bought it probably from Bud's Gun Shop uh, a few years ago about midnight. There might have been a glass or two of scotch involved, uh, and uh, I know exactly why and when I did it. I, we've collected the, the letters that my great-grandfather sent to his fiance. Uh, he came to Seattle in 1901. Oh, wow. Uh, he... Uh, owned with his brothers an Alaskan outfitting store. He was a very young man, and of course he went to Alaska. And he had an 1886, and in his letters, he talked to his girlfriend, my great-grandmother, about his Winchester. And he dropped that into a lot of letters, my Winchester. And he carried that Winchester uh, up Chilkoot Pass. We still have it. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I bought the Moroku, uh, you know, modern um, version of that. It's a 4570. Um, and it meant I, I kind of care about the guns that I that I that I shoot deer and elk with. That's kind of as big for me as as uh, getting the animal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew where the elk were. I knew where they were going. Uh, and uh, I was down there chattering. It was very cold, uh, all by myself, shivering, uh, watching them do their thing. You know, at that time of year, they were head fighting and chasing each other off but slowly working their way towards the point that I knew was 100 yards away. And I, I just put a Skinner sight on that, and I had not changed the, the front blade, and I knew I was six inches high at 100 yards, and I kept telling myself, six inches high, six inches high, six inches high. And of course, you know, when he's at 100 yards and he's moving around a little bit, I totally forgot that, but it was a straight-on shot. It, it blew out the artery and was a, was a good kill. Uh, and I'd, I'd shoot that to 150. I think uh, I've got bad eyes, but good glasses. Yeah, <laughs> a forty-five seventy packs a hell of a punch. Yeah. I've uh, I've been enlisted sites. by a good friend of mine to do load development for his forty-five seventy. Yeah, and if you've shot a forty-five seventy, you know why you don't want to shoot a forty-five seventy mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. sixty rounds. Yeah. Well, I was using I think three hundred uh, grain hollow points uh, <laughs> that that you know are not that punishing. I've I've also yeah. done some of the four hundred and five grain where I, I just keep. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a hand loader. I just yep. kept loading them up. 
and uh, my groups opened up when I knew that thing was going to whack me. It's got that old crescent <laughs> metal oh, uh, yeah. butt on yeah. it. It, it uh, looks oh, like a Punisher. that's the tough one. Yeah, that's just, there's no padding on that. Well, it's lethal mm. at both ends. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> uh, good point. Yes. That's great. So, so talk about, so your normal elk hunt, right? What is your, what is a, your normal annual elk hunt consist of? Well, I'm uh, kind of a shooter <laughs> more than a hunter, uh, but I put in a lot of time and I know where the elk are and, and I, elk are more creatures of habit than mm -hmm. most other animals that I've seen. Uh, now they can fool you, you know, you, they can be going to the same spot for weeks and weeks and weeks and, and they're very volatile. You know, in October mm -hmm. and November, because mm -hmm. they're they're trying to assemble that herd and they're chasing out the other elk uh, and playing their games. Uh, but uh, I've generally known where they're going to be, and I've normally been an early morning hunter, which is really nice because it's no fun uh, getting a doing elk, it in the dark. You know, in the dark. dark. Yeah, I've done it, but no, it's not fun. Not fun at all. So I, I like morning hunting, uh, but you can get fog. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you know where they are, uh, it's it's pretty easy. And I've normally hunted with a seven millimeter Magnum or a two seventy. Mm -hmm. And you know nowadays you can feel great out to three. You know, for me maybe three hundred yards. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. For others, triple that. I Six guess yeah. not, not yeah. me. Tommy's a long shooter. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so you know, it's to me, it's all about knowing where they are. Blacktails, I, I think, are way tougher. Uh, and oh, you I would just agree. Just have to put in a lot more time. Yeah. The the elusive blacktail goes to the forest. When you so, said they're tougher, my mind is going, not against a 4570. You're, no, you're, you're talking tougher to hunt. Tougher to hunt. Yeah, right? yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're a very, yeah. very interesting, intriguing creature. Well, 4570 makes it a challenge because it's it's almost a short-range weapon, especially yeah. with iron sights, right? So, well, yeah, I, you, I think I'd go, like I said, I'd go to 150, and if, if I had really planned it out, uh, and I, I had a rangefinder. I'd, I'd go to 200, but I don't mm. think I'd go more than that. Right. Mm. Yeah. You must. Have yeah. That bullet glasses. drops like a rock. Yeah. 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 Uh, so six inches high, at, you know, 200. You're probably be just fine. I'm probably. I'm probably. You know. It drops a lot blank, more than that. Point blank at 150 yeah. or so. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But yeah. you could be. I don't. I don't remember. But you could be 12 inches. Yep. 50 yards later. Right. Right. Yep. Um, so again, I failed that blacktail picture. I have a passion for blacktail, especially around here locally, Summit Lake area. I've been uh, pretty blessed with a few decent animals the last couple of years. And, um, that was intriguing. Nice, big, wide, you know, heavy mass, three point pistol lane. What pistol is that? And is this a ground blind hunt? Is this a, no, um, you know, I, I will, hunt the farm and and do it during blacktail season i'll just go out every morning and every evening and uh that that one was in a field uh, about i think i paced it off 54 yards away and and it's a four inch uh barrel on a uh super blackhawk and uh i didn't make as good a shot as as i'd like to on that uh so it really inspired me to work a little harder and i i uh, bought a seven and a half inch barrel uh, super Blackhawk, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, you know, my fantasy is being isolated on the farm. Uh, so COVID, <laughs> you my know, COVID, is COVID being was COVID was, was was awful uh, in oh. many many ways, and right. it just about destroyed our business. But you know, the the silver lining uh, was uh, I just went to work in my reloading room, and I think I fired off about two thousand. 44 magnum rounds. Oh boy. 
And my thought was I, I wanted to be able to uh, hit an elk, you know, in a lethal spot at 100 yards and feel good yeah. about a blacktail at 50 yards. Yeah. And I, I haven't done either one since, but the next year I, I, I shot a blacktail with, with the other Ruger. But, you know, we were talking about which one's tough. I've never had an elk take more than a step or two. I had one turn around on me in the fog, which was huh. really scary because I couldn't tell from the recoil which one to put another bullet into. Uh, but I've never had a blacktail, and I've, I've hit them right. I've never had a blacktail go right down. And the mm. farm has so much cover that, you know, 20 steps and you, you can lose them. Sure. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's always kind of made me nervous. Well, yeah. time to get a 338 Lapua Magnum, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger gun, yeah. So have you traveled? So, you know, you've got you got the farm and, and obviously hunting Washington, but have you traveled out of state for, for deer or elk? Or? Well, the only out-of-state hunting I've ever done, and this is really fun for me, is uh, a cousin uh, and an uncle, and usually they bring some friends, uh, invited me about 10 years ago to go on an annual pheasant hunting trip to Shoto, Montana. Mm, it's yep. a farm that belongs to their cousin. Uh, and my dad went with me two years ago, and that that is you know the it, it's not like South Dakota. You, you're you're not kicking the birds up with your feet, uh, but you know you can limit out if you if you work hard. And, mm -hmm. and we all have dogs, and hunting with dogs is just especially if you've got people that are patient and you don't have to be perfect. Sure, mm -hmm. to me, it's just one of the greatest experiences. And to do it with my dad and then my daughter was just. I really am grateful to my uncle. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I saw it. You know, obviously, I went to University of Nebraska. My brother's got the farm in South Dakota. And so I, I did get to experience some pretty redneck pheasant hunting, you know, where you have, <laughs> where you have, you know, a, a, a strip of corn that you leave intentionally just so the pheasants right. go into right. it. And then you put, you know, all your relatives are at the one end. Right. And then you get all the dummies at the other end. And then you work towards each other and you shoot like this. Um, I've seen a, a corn stock laid down hunting, before. Right? Yeah. Civil yeah. War pheasant hunting. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never well, think that world. you learn not to flock shoot on pheasants. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yep. But to your point, I one of my favorite things about pheasant hunting is watching good dogs work. Yeah. Watching them flush, mm -hmm. watching them go on point, watching them retrieve. I mean, you get a you get a handler there with a couple of dogs designed and doing what they love to do, man. It's just it's impressive. It's it's awesome. Yep. So. All right, uh, boy, kept you here a little long, but the discussion has been fantastic. So, yeah. any final thoughts? Any final words? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, we all get angry at the legislature. No one more than me, I promise you. Uh, but uh, I've got some things that are. We've got some things that are happening this year that give me some hope. I, I mentioned that the uh, Ag and Natural Resources Committee in the House has refused to put out a bill that wasn't bipartisan. There's a few other committees that are beginning to do that. Good. Uh, you know, COVID was a disaster, and, and the legislature failed. Um, doing that at a distance is, is a huge mistake. Uh, but I, I think the reaction is Republicans and Democrats want to do their job. And, you know, does that mean that we're going to beat uh, 1240? Absolutely not. The Democrats have committed that they're going to do that, and they're going to do it. Uh, but I think there are some other areas where we're starting to see better cooperation than we've had before. Well, I guess uh, knowing what we know and the, uh, the makeup of our current legislator, that's, uh, that's encouraging, to say the least. So I mm -hmm. uh, cannot thank you enough. I mean, you've been in a long, led session. 
uh, and it's going to continue another uh, few weeks, and you got more work to do, but to take time out of your personal schedule this evening and, and uh, uh, take time for us and come here to the studio and and uh, meet the family and have dinner and stuff. I can't. I can't thank you enough. It's well, it was really fun. Yeah, appreciate I'm it. Pleasure. I'm grateful to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, you got to promise us that you're going to get on a boat, and uh, we got plenty of opportunity out here, whether it's through the summer or into mm -hmm. the fall or whatever. Mm -hmm. That'd be fine. Got some fisheries we want to get you out on because Good. I think you're going to totally enjoy them. So, all right, uh, folks, that is going to do it for us this week here. Fish at Northwest. Tommy, you're back next week. I am. Just check. I'm going to write that down. Right. The Bahamas isn't for another week. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, okay. I'll so. grace you with my presence for a little bit. Actually, we are yeah. going to delve into your uh, your hunting excursion That's there in right. Hawaii. That is pretty. It's going to uh, be a good one. Amazing. So, ah, uh, thank you, Jordan. Appreciate that. All right, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in tonight. Especially want to thank uh, Representative J.T. Wilcox for taking time, coming in, giving us some perspective on legislator, some of the things happening there, and his true passion for the outdoors. We really uh, appreciate and respect you for thank that. You. So. Absolutely. I want you guys all to have a great weekend. Get out there and do something. Weather coming in is going to absolutely suck. So I don't know what you're going to go do, but <laughs> try to find something worthwhile and enjoy. We'll see you back here next, next Thursday, 6 p.m., right here, Fish on Northwest. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, and finally, Go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.